my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Questions for God. This is the show where we respond to the difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is a show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, Minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. If you have questions about this or any other subject, you can text them to our desk on 0438066635. This week we're asking, how relevant is the Bible in the early third millennium? Today where we ask, why is the Bible important if I'm to understand Jesus? And is the Old Testament still of benefit today? Our specialist in the, in the hot seat today. It's Pastor David Butcher. David's the president of the Seventh Day Adventist Church in South Australia. David, it's great to have you have you with us today as we dig into this question. Great to be here, Gary. I'm excited. It's fantastic to have you back again. Actually, I mean, last week the people really appreciated the things that you had to share, and uh, to have you back with us today is a fantastic uh, uh, experience. I did get into trouble with my wife when I got home. You did. You yeah, did. Well, you, is she listening week. today as well? Uh, hopefully, I don't know. But uh, you asked uh, how I got my grey hair and you asked if it was my wife and I didn't disagree. And you didn't disagree. So I need to correct myself. So should we say hello to Megan then? Absolutely. Uh, Hello Megan, it's great to have you listening with us uh, to us today. David, look, the Bible, it's been part of your work and ministry for years. Um, What's your favourite part of the Bible? Yeah, most parts of I like the narratives. The narratives are really powerful. Narratives, what's that? The stories, the stories in the Old Testament that often you don't hear about, you know, that that are hidden away, buried there like yeah, gems and treasures. Yeah, yeah. But I guess my favorite uh, book of the Bible is the Gospel of John. Okay. And that'll okay. be followed by Mark. So it's hard for me to nail one particular book. Okay. So you, you've got a widespread of, um, uh, of books and uh, literature that you enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, and look, probably my favorite passage of scripture is, uh, and there are many of those as well, but John 637. Okay. And, um, you know, I was reading the story of John Bunyan once and how he struggled with, was he good enough? Mm. Would God accept mm. him? And he heard this voice in his ear and it was Lucifer. Share with us John 637. Yeah. Um, uh, him who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Mm. A- and the story from memory that I read about uh, John Bunyan was, um, every Bible text he would come up with saying that he was accepted by God, de- the devil would whisper in his ear, but that doesn't apply to you, John. Yeah. And then when he got to John 6.37, John Bunyan says that this one speaks to me, and Satan challenged him. You know, this is how John Bunyan wrote it, who, who lived you know, he was a man, He was years a ago. fantastic writer, wasn't he? Yeah. Absolutely. And John Bunyan gets to this text, and he, he talks about how Satan challenged him. Mm. And as he read John 6.37, him who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And he yeah. said, well, this applies to me. And Satan says, no, it doesn't. And and John Bunyan said, well, it's any him, whoever comes to Jesus, yeah. he will in no wise cast out. And it's powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a uh, that's an incredible thought, isn't it? Because it, it applies no matter who you are or where you are. Well, also, I believe it's telling us that 
as long as we keep coming to Jesus, he will mm. never cast us away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah. And the challenge we have is that often we fail to come to Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is David the preacher coming out. And David, I really appreciate that series that you did just uh, just a little while. For our listeners who may not be aware, David has just uh, done a, a wonderful series on uh, online on the uh, the prophet Elijah, and uh, that can be picked up at livingministrymedia.com. Really appreciated that uh, that series that you presented there, there, David. And tell us, David, how many copies of the Bible do you have? Because I know that you know many uh, many Christian many pastors out there have got more than one. How many copies of the Bible do you have? Yeah, look, to be honest, I don't know. Um, you don't know you've given up counting. <laughs> currently on my shelves at the moment, we've shifted so many times. I've got 4,000 books packed in boxes. Yeah. And uh, most, yeah, most, and I downsized, most uh, books I have now are ebooks on Bible software, mm-hmm. and I've got 5,000 on that. So I'd probably have physical hard copies that are readily accessible uh, in my home. Um, I would probably have about eight or nine Bibles. Okay, okay. Do you have one version that you prefer above others? Yeah, look, the one I like to uh, study with is the New King James Bible. Okay. Um, But when I'm really looking at something, I'll often read some paraphrases as well, like Mm -hmm. the message or Mm -hmm. the New Living, just to get a a bit of a grasp or another take and insights. Okay, okay. Tell us, David. Are there any? I've been asking everyone this uh, this question. I get some really interesting responses. Uh, are there any parts of the Bible that you really struggle with? I mean, you're a pastor. You're a you know you're a, a Bible whiz. I mean, have you got it all together? I mean, are there any parts you really you know sort of you, know, you struggle? You still struggle with? One of the beauties of the Bible, Gary, I believe, is that um, you can never stop learning. Mm. And so there is so many parts of the Bible I don't understand. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole book of Job, I believe we have some incredible insights. It provides us with lots of answers. Um, but also, I guess, when his uh, children die, um, and we know that wasn't God doing that, mm. um, but uh, there, there are questions that I do have. And it's almost like I heard someone say once that they have this shelf in their mind mm, mm. where they put um, questions for God and they rest them in this shelf in yeah, their mind. Yeah. Um, and they put them there, um, not casting them away, but putting them there that one day they will be sitting down with Jesus in the kingdom saying, mm. now, look, I've got a question on this. Can you reveal mm. it to me? Well, even Martin Luther, I understand, uh, he, he struggled. He loved the book of Romans and uh, I know Galatians. He loved those books. But he struggled with the book of James. Mm. He didn't didn't quite get it. You know, I mean, if if Romans is true, how can James also be true? You know, and these were, were things that even Martin Luther back in the, the days of the Protestant Reformation, he, he didn't quite um come to an understanding of it, even in his own lifetime. And sometimes we're battling the culture and the context we're living in that yeah. we're predisposed to in, in our thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's so true. David, we're going to come back in, in just a moment because uh, I'm really looking forward to what you're going to share and present uh, today. I've got some uh, questions here that I really do want to uh, want to ask, uh, ask of you. But until... Until then, let's uh, let's go to Andre Crouch. Uh, it's not just a story. What a beautiful song this is. I heard the story of Jesus Sounded like music in my ear 
Questions for God with Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher today. This is the program where we look each week at the difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. If you have questions, you can text them to our desk on 0438 655. Today I've got... David Butcher with me. David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in, in South Australia. And this week we've been asking the question, how relevant is the Bible in the early third millennium? It was in the early 1800s, and it's known as the Jefferson Bible. It's an amazing story. Thomas Jefferson had produced an 84-page volume six years before he died at the age of 83. He had it bound in red leather and titled it The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. But today it's been come, it's been, it's come to be known as the Jefferson Bible. How was the Jefferson Bible created? Well, he cut pages from the New Testament. You see, Thomas Jefferson believed that there were some things of more value than others. He cut passages with some sort of very sharp blade and using blank paper, he glued down lines from each of the Gospels. Much of the material that Jefferson elected to not include related to the miraculous events in the New Testament, things like the, the feeding of the multitudes with only two fish and five barley loads of, uh, of bread. He, he didn't like anything that he perceived as contrary to, to reason. His idiosyncratic gospel concludes with Christ's entombment, but it omits his resurrection. He kept Jesus' own teachings, such as the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. That went into his Bible, but those things would of a supernatural form, they were excluded from the Bible. The, um, uh, the Jefferson Bible today 
can be found at the Smithsonian Institute in the United States. They actually own the only original copy that's known to, known to exist. What an amazing act to create your own Bible by cutting and pasting. Now, David, let's come to you about this. When I first heard this story, it, it set me back big time. You know, did Jefferson have a, some sort of a valid point? You know, he, he believed that there was much in the Bible that was of value, but there was also much that, in his view, was beyond reason. How do you feel about this, um, this cut and paste? type Bible study. Uh, do you sense any problems with it? Look, absolutely. Uh, if you believe the, what the Bible claims it to be, God's holy word, the sacred scriptures, mm-hmm. um, truth and, mm-hmm. and ultimate truth, then who am I as a human being uh, with my own reason? So refresh our memory. What does the Bible actually claim um, about uh, about itself? Yeah, look, very interesting. If you uh, turn in the New Testament, Gary, to Second Timothy chapter three, verse fifteen. Right, uh, right. Paul is talking to a young minister, Timothy. Yep. And he has. And this, this is actually his last book of the Bible. He's probably in prison when he's writing this particular book. He's he's bound up in a prison cell, uh, so our listeners are aware. And he's talking to the young man, Timothy. Keep on going, David. This yeah. is important. So in verse fifteen, he says to Timothy, he says, "And that from child." You have known the Holy Scriptures. Mm-hmm. So the Bible writers refer to the Scriptures as holy. Um, and that's significant. They're sacred writings. They claim to be different. Mm-hmm. But then Paul further goes on in verses 16 and 17. And he says this. He says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Mm -hmm. So what that's telling me is that um, Scripture, all Scripture, Paul says, is given by inspiration of God. And that means all Scripture, he says, is profitable mm-hmm. for various things. Mm-hmm. So if I come along as a fallible human being that is here in one minute and 70 years, one minute if you like, mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. big time, big I'm, time. Gone, yeah, yeah, yeah. Years, I'm gone, yep. who do I think I am mm-hmm. setting myself up as a god to pull apart what the Bible calls sacred as inspired by God? And there are plenty of Bible texts that talk about this. Second Peter chapter one, mm-hmm. verse twenty-one. The apostle Peter, the one that so often was the first one to speak up mm-hmm. and, uh, and put his foot in his mouth, if you like, so many times, yep. Fat, a human being. But he says this. He says, "For prophecy, Second Peter one verse twenty-one. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit." Mm-hmm. In other words. This book, this book that has stood the course of millennia, mm-hmm. isn't of human origin. It, it makes a claim about itself that it's almost a all or nothing a type of scenario that is put in place. Absolutely. And so you can read the Bible as a, as a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, some would read it as a fable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't, but some would, uh, as a piece of literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know uh, one particular man that um, 
has got some really old Bibles mm-hmm. uh, and portions of them, and he looks at the Bible as literature, mm-hmm. and solely as that. That ends up hollow mm-hmm. because you're missing the main point. It's almost like as if um, I'm given a brand new vehicle, a very expensive sports car. Mm-hmm. And all I do is look at it for an aesthetic value mm-hmm. as a as a piece of art, if you mm-hmm. like, and don't actually turn the key and drive it. Mm-hmm. The Bible's intended purpose is to reveal to us who God is and to reveal to us the story of humanity, the love of God, and the way back of restoration. Mm-hmm. What Jefferson has actually done is is selectively discounted portions of the uh, of the scriptures, and yet one of the things that I'm really conscious of today is that uh, David is that there are many people today that would actually also cut out portions of the of the scriptures. You know, with with some Christians, in fact, within within Christendom today, there are there are many who would cut out the miraculous elements just in the same way as what Thomas Jefferson did. I mean, okay, he did it with a with a razor blade, we believe, and he went through a couple of New Testaments and chopped out the parts he wanted to keep and discarded the rest of uh, uh, the rest of the New Testament. Um, we can do it with cut and paste on our, our computers very easily, but some Christians today would actually discount the miraculous elements. Uh, in fact, I'm really conscious that many... Even Christian people would cut out the creation story. They've accepted a thing called theistic evolution. Now, David, can you tell us what is theistic evolution firstly? I mean, what is it that they've actually done? Yeah, look, Gary, I thought you were going to share that part. Well, okay, I can share that one. All right, I'll share that one. Uh, Theistic evolution, of course, is the belief that evolution actually occurred, um, but it was it was it was commenced by God Himself. So God created the world, but He created. There's a number of different forms of this of this particular belief, but uh, the thought is is that God created this world, but He created it through the process of uh, of evolution. Now, I'm really conscious that within the uh, the Christian world there are many who have accepted this particular particular belief that's true and so what this does it does away with the literal teaching of the creation story um, and it plays out in creation it, any, any miraculous often mm-hmm. um, Noah's flood mm-hmm. uh, all of these things uh, m- many of these things are often minimized mm-hmm. uh, even by Christians mm-hmm. uh, and Essentially, what that ends up doing it does it from very early on. Uh, can we really rely on the scriptures? Mm. Uh, are certain parts more reliable than others, as mm. Thomas Jefferson obviously mm. tried to do? Mm. And even today, as Christians, that if we say we believe in the whole of scriptures, we can fall into the same boat with parts of the scriptures we don't understand, mm. or we minimise, or or we don't seek clarification from scripture on 
other parts of scripture. Mm, mm, okay, okay. Uh, do you know one of the things that I'm I'm just really conscious uh, of this is that it actually changes much of the theme that flows through the scriptures once I move into a divesting the scripture of its supernatural element. Now, David, one of the things that we are going to do, we're going to actually spend an entire week on this issue of uh, of science and uh, and creation and uh, and evolution. We're going to spend an entire week on this. So I don't want to dig into this one too much at this particular point in time. But one of the things I'm really conscious of here is that we actually have a, a situation that has, has slowly developed where much of the scriptures has been divested of its supernatural character. Now, what to you does that do to the Bible? Well, it's like um, cutting the limbs off a giant tree. Mm. Uh, maybe that's not the best analogy. But what that does, it's a continual whittling away at an erosion of, of something the Bible calls sacred. It's all God-given. It's all God-inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, it does away with the supernatural, the miracles that Jesus did. And if we don't believe that, then do we really believe Jesus has the power to do what he says he can do? Mm. I mean, Jesus said, he said in John fourteen six, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Mm. So if Jesus claims to be the truth... Yet we're questioning his ability or his what the Bible says he actually did. Then, really, is Jesus really the truth? Yeah, is he really yeah. the way? They're, they're good questions, Dave. You know, one of the things that I'm really conscious of here is Paul in First Corinthians. Uh, 15 actually makes some incredibly powerful statements uh, concerning the uh, the Christian faith and uh, uh, he's talking particularly about the subject of the resurrection because what we actually have in 1 Corinthians 15 the Corinthian people are starting to struggle a little bit because because there are numbers of people within their community who are starting to die and they're starting to struggle you know what actually happens after a person dies and of course uh, Paul starts to to respond to that particular question, and uh, uh, and he's conscious that there are some in that community who are starting to say there's no resurrection of the dead. Now, of course, resurrection is a is an amazingly supernatural event. Hey, I've I'm a minister of religion. I've I've buried many people, but I have to admit, I've never seen anybody actually be resurrected. So, what this does then, Gary? Um, by pulling apart bits of scripture, I'll accept this but not accept that. Mm. Um, it's an erosion of faith. Yeah. In other words, I my faith cannot grow beyond what I can tangibly um, understand or tangibly tangibly reproduce mm. or have some evidence from science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, what Paul goes on to say here um, is that. Uh, if the dead do not rise, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. You know, to, to me, uh, what Paul is is trying to say here is that if in fact Christ didn't come forth from the grave, then at that point, 
give up your Christian your Christian faith. That's what he says in this passage because everything depends on this supernatural element within the Christian uh, the Christian ethos. And so, when you choose to do that, when you choose to tear apart bits of Scripture that you don't like or that don't fit with your your mindset or your experience. Mm. Then you um, you don't have a sacred book any longer. Yeah, and and many Christians uh, will say that the New Testament is is the book that's for them, or the part of the Scriptures that's for them. The Old Testament was fulfilled at the cross; it's done away with. It's not necessary. It's speaking to a different era. Now, now that David, that is a subject that I I want us to pick on. In fact, after our break, I want us to pick up on that particular subject mm-hmm. because I think that's really key. This is part of this big picture because this uh, cherry picking, as I call it, various parts of the Scripture. It's so easy to cut out the the supernatural elements or to cut out the uh, maybe. The the Old Testament, or maybe you know others who cut out the um, the prophetic literature in the Bible. Um, it's so easy to cut out particular portions simply because, hey, maybe I don't understand it, or uh, maybe uh, you know it, it, this doesn't seem reasonable to me. And yet, to me, as I as I look at it, I say, hey, you know, are we being consistent? If in fact, for example. Am I being consistent if I believe that a dead man, Jesus Christ, can rise from the dead? Or maybe if I believe in a virgin birth that Mary can have a baby without a man being involved. And then, for example, I choose to deny something like creation. I mean, to me, there seems to be some inconsistency there. What what do you think? I agree 100%. And again, I would reiterate, we set ourselves up, if we go down that path, as a little God, if you like, mm-hmm. uh, determining what's sacred and what's not. Mm. You don't need Jesus if you have that headset. Now, yeah. we know everyone needs Jesus, but yeah. if you set yourself up to say, I'll accept this but won't accept that, um, there are plenty of stories in the Bible. Uh, in John chapter 5, mm-hmm. uh, verses 39, I don't know if you, don't know if you want to go there now or not. We'll come back to it if we can after the after the break because I think it's a really important point that you're making because I really want to look at this issue of the of the Old Testament. I think it's really really key. David, look, let's go to a go to a break. I uh, I love this uh, this particular song. This is B J Thomas, where no one stands alone. Beautiful song. Once I stood in the night With my head bowed low In the darkness as black as could be And my heart felt alone And I cried, oh Lord, don't hide your face from me Hold my hand all the way Every hour Every day From here to the great unknown Take my hand And let 
the king I may live in a palace so tall With great riches to call my own But I don't know a thing In this whole wide world That's worse than being alone Hold my hand Jesus save me and from what? Faith FM's free offer today is the Hidden Truth magazine, exploring your hard questions about faith and Christianity. To get your free Hidden Truth magazine, go to faithfm.com.au forward slash offers or call us on 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big questions for God with Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher. This is the program where we look each week at the difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. If you have questions, you can text them to our desk on 0438 And I have with me Pastor David Butcher. David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. And this week we've been asking that question, how relevant is the Bible in the early third millennium? And today we're talking about whether the whole Bible is really necessary for the contemporary Christian. David. This this issue of the Old Testament, we've been talking about, uh, we talked about the Jefferson Bible and, of course, uh, Thomas Jefferson chopped out, intentionally chopped out uh, all the supernatural elements. I mean, he was probably a bit before his time in, in many ways there. But I'm also conscious that within the religious world today, there are many who would cut out, for example, the Old Testament. Is that still of benefit to us today? Is it still valid today? Share uh, with us. Remember, we said early on that all Scripture is God-inspired. Mm. It's all profitable for understanding. And uh, the Old Testament is every bit as inspired and relevant for our day as it was to those who uh, heard it when it was first mm-hmm. given. Uh, we understand Jesus so much better by reading the Old Testament. In fact, in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, Jesus, um, some of the religious leaders of his day, are having an argument with him. And so in John five thirty nine and 40, Jesus says to these religious leaders, these scholars, mm-hmm. 
that uh, understood the Bible. Now, the mm-hmm. Bible that they had, Gary, and I know you're aware of this, but the Bible that the religious people had, the Bible that was uh, in place in Jesus' day is what we would call the Old Testament. And you know, what that, that point is actually so significant that a lot of people don't actually, but a lot of people don't pick it up. Uh, the, uh, the Bible as we've got it today, uh, the, the, certainly the earliest books are written, you know, 30 or 40 years after the, the death of, uh, death of Christ. To the disciples, to the apostles, their Bible was what we would call the Old Testament. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So here we have it in John chapter 5. There is an argument with the religious scholars trying to attack Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says to them in John 5, 39 and 40, he says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these, this is the Old Testament scriptures. This is the Old Testament, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, the Old Testament scriptures, he's really saying, these are they which testify of me. In other words, he says, it's the... Old Testament, the Bible that we all have in our day, Jesus is mm-hmm. saying to those that are listening, it's the Bible. And he's saying that this is what testifies about me. And he continues and he says to them, these scriptures are what testify about me. But then he says, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have eternal life. Mm. In other mm. words, we cannot discount any portion of scripture because in it is eternal life. Uh, in John 17, verse 17, Jesus says in his prayer to the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Mm-hmm. The whole of Scripture. Now, if we continue there in John chapter 5 and we look at verse 46 and 47, we discover this. Jesus again to this same group of religious leaders, he says, For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Mm. So the Old Testament provides us with a foundation Mm-hmm. And not only a foundation, but continual substance. Mm-hmm. It reveals to us who Jesus is. Okay, but the Old Testament, uh, build this one up a little bit more because I, I'm conscious that even uh, in, you know, in, in Luke's gospel, uh, we have a Christ, of course, this is after his uh, after his resurrection. Uh, we, the disciples are not yet aware that he has in fact been resurrected. And he's walking, two of his disciples are walking to a place through a, to Emmaus and he goes and joins them. And in, uh, in Luke 24 verse 27, he, he says this, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, and of course that was the Old Testament to them, mm. the things concerning himself. Yeah. Now Christ is taking the Old Testament and he's expounding to them about himself. Now, if you go later in that same chapter, in verse 44, he, he goes even further. He says, and he said to them, now they are actually uh, uh, together, uh, sitting at the table. These are the words which I spoke with you while you, I was still with you, that all the things must be fulfilled that were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets and the Psalms, concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Now, What is that saying to you? There is no better person to ask if the Old Testament is still valid 
and has validity than Jesus himself. Mm. And Jesus is actually um, here uh, in verse 44 to um, uh, 47. Um, he is meets the disciples later that night after the two from the road to Emmaus return to Jerusalem mm-hmm. once they realize it's Jesus who has risen, mm-hmm. who's been with them on the road. Yeah, they go running back at a rate of knots, don't they? Yeah. And they say actually in verse 32, they say, did not our hearts burn within us uh, when he, he told us these things? Mm. So then that night when Jesus comes again into that upper room uh-huh. and meets the other disciples, and you've read those verses. He opens their minds. Didn't all these things have to be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets, he says, and the Psalms concerning me? And then he opens their understanding. As what does that actually mean? Because that, I think, is a really important um, uh, thought that Jesus actually expresses there. What Jesus is doing here, I believe, he's actually, uh, when we read the Old Testament, uh, some people pass it off or don't see grace or don't see gospel there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have to dig. Mm-hmm. And uh, the disciples had read the Old Testament scriptures, mm-hmm. but they hadn't seen Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures. But Jesus is saying it's there. Absolutely. Mm. The, the things concerning himself. That was the best Bible study you could ever want to attend. Mm. A- and I believe uh, Jesus is giving those 11 disciples there in that upper room, he's giving them the grounding for what we then find in Acts chapter 1 and 2, where they're there in that upper room for 10 days and then mm. the Holy Spirit's poured out and the Christian church is mm. born. Yeah. So this is a powerful passage in Luke 24. Um, what do you think it means there? When it says in verse 45, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures or the Old Testament. What does that actually mean? Because I'm really conscious that, um, you know, is it possible that religious leaders actually had their minds closed? Well, we read that in John chapter 5, didn't we, Mm. Uh, where Jesus said, you know, these scriptures talk about me, but you refuse to come to me that you Mm. may have life. Mm. So we can all come with bias to scripture. Mm. And uh, what you have there in verse uh, 45, when he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures, I believe he's talking about himself, that they might see himself in the scriptures. The purpose of scripture, and, and there are a couple, but the purpose of scripture is to reveal to us who God is. Mm. Um, Right there in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, right Mm. back there at the beginning, uh, Lucifer, Satan, Mm. through a snake, through a serpent, Mm. uh, casts doubt on who God is. He can't be trusted. Jesus came to show us that God is love. Jesus came to win us back to the Father. Mm. He came to to win us back to God. He came to save us. Mm. And so Jesus here in Luke 24 is actually telling the disciples that the Scriptures, the Old Testament, it is talking about me. It is all about me. But, you know, one of the beautiful things here that I, I, I sense is that just as the Holy Spirit worked on the minds of the Bible writers to inspire them to write that which was written. Here, he's opening their understanding. Could it be that here we actually need the work of the Holy Spirit on our minds to fully comprehend what is actually being presented within the Scriptures themselves? This is a really important point you've touched on. Uh, If we believe, and I do, 
If we choose to believe that the scriptures are sacred, that they're given to us by God and all scripture is inspired by God and that holy men were um, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Mm. So what we're really saying here is the Holy Spirit is the author of scripture. Mm. Um, human beings are given pictures and visions and they are told what to write but they write it in their own expression mm. they write it in their own words and through their own experience but it is all still inspired and it comes through the holy spirit so if the if the human writers of the bible that put it on paper if you like mm. were inspired by the holy spirit then how much more do we need to seek the Holy Spirit to understand the Scriptures? Mm. Otherwise, it's a fable or a history book. That's that, that's good, and that's what actually elevates it from being fable or history book, just simple knowledge, to being something that is, as Paul says, quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, is what the way Paul actually describes it. Now, David, tell me, though, it, the Jesus is revealed. I mean... Where can we see Jesus in the Old Testament? Have you got any any thoughts for us there? Yeah, no, look, very good. Um, I believe that um, the Old Testament prophecies that point to Jesus as the coming Messiah, Mm. and there are many of them. Some authors have suggested there are 500 prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. Mm. Now, um, I haven't gone through myself and yeah. validated that. Yeah. Um, others say 300, but we can share a couple if you like. Yeah. yeah. Um, just just, just yeah. one or two. Just one or two. You know, absolutely, yeah, yeah. because we'd like to I, say a bit more about Revelation even. Yes, 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 yes. But, um, yeah, some of those powerful scriptures, uh, prophecies about Jesus, um, Psalm 41 verse 9 tells us that even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. In other words, the Old Testament in Psalms predicts that um, a friend of Jesus, someone close, would betray him. Mm. Now, you couldn't write that a thousand years before about someone, Jesus, who hadn't even come, Judas, Mm. who hadn't even been born. You couldn't write that... um, and have it come true by accident and and, by and, and that is so sig- in fact what happens if you if we read the for example Matthew's gospel um, we find that Matthew can is continually quoting from what we call the Old Testament his scriptures uh, prophecies that he saw fulfilled in the birth and life of Jesus Christ And Matthew does this a lot because he's largely writing to a Jewish audience Mm. and he's trying to show them that their scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, things are fulfilled. And that prophecy about um, uh, Judas, a friend betraying Jesus, is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 26. In Zechariah 11, we discover that um, Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, and it says there, uh, verses 12 and 13 of Zechariah 11, And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. This is the King James Version. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. Now, if we come across to Matthew uh, chapter 24, verses mm-hmm. 14 to 16, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, How much will you pay to portray, for, how much will you pay me to portray? 
betrayed Jesus to you. And they gave him 30 pieces mm-hmm. of silver. Mm-hmm. And there are so many prophecies about his garments being um, uh Lots cast for it and, and not being torn. There are prophecies in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that out of Bethlehem in Ephratah one would come forth from everlasting. Mm. We know Jesus came and was born mm. in Bethlehem. And then you have that wonderful uh, prophecy in, in the book of Daniel where we actually find a time frame is given for when the Messiah was going to come. And, you know, when you look at the accurate fulfillment of that particular prophecy, I just stand in awe. Absolutely. And just with that one, uh, you know, Daniel chapter 9, the 70-week prophecy, um, it is time-specific. Mm. It it points to Jesus' baptism. It points to his death. And it mm-hmm. points to a, a period after Jesus' death when the good news of Jesus will go to the entire world, not mm. just the nation of Israel. Mm. And throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is often saying, my time has not yet come. Yeah. But yeah. then he says later on, the time is fulfilled. Because he, w- he is a student of the Old Testament that is declaring uh, good news about the coming Messiah. Absolutely. And it was Jesus connected to his Father in prayer, Mm. filled with the Spirit, Mm -hmm. but reliant upon God's Word, which is truth, which sustained him. It's interesting, in John chapter 3, after his baptism, Jesus is driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, where he is tempted for 40 days and Mm. nights by Satan. Mm. Now, when he's tempted, Gary, what does he do? He He relies on the Word of God. He quotes to Satan... The scriptures of his day. Absolutely. And and one of those scriptures that he quotes is in Matthew 4, verse 4, where he says to Satan, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Mm. Now, he's quoting, as you've said, the Old Testament, his scriptures. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. So, scripture is supernatural. It's the word of God delivered by God, it's God-inspired, mm. and it can sustain us from the attacks of the evil one. Hey, now that is important. That is important. Now listen, Dave, we're going to come back to that in a moment. I'm conscious that our time is starting to go, but let's go to, to one more song. This is Mark Miller. Take the world, but give me Jesus.
faithfm.com.au forward slash offers or call us on 1-800-FAITH-FM That's 1-800-324-843 Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big questions for God with Pastor Gary and Pastor David. This is the program where we look each week at the difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. It's the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I have with me today Pastor David Butcher, who is the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. And we've been talking about this subject of the relevance of the Bible in the early third millennium. And we've been talking particularly about uh, withdrawing uh, some portions of the Bible being accepted more than others. Uh, we've been talking particularly about the Old Testament most recently. Uh, David, tell us, uh, we do have to bring this whole thing together. But you were saying in the break to me that the book of Revelation has actually got huge portions that are actually drawn from the Old Testament. Uh, fill us in. Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, you cannot understand the New Testament. You cannot get a clear picture of Jesus unless you have some insights in the Old Testament. Mm. And that is even so true with the book of Revelation. Um, scholars suggest that uh, anywhere from 70 to 75 percent of uh, what we find in the last book of the Bible, the New Testament, mm-hmm. the book of Revelation, is borrowed, alluded to, or quoted from the Old Testament books, such as Daniel, such as Ezekiel, the Psalms, Zechariah. Because John was a was a, a scholar of his own scriptures, and in vision he sees certain things, and he picks up, ah, this is what's been occurring back there, and he transfers us a great masses of it across into the book of Revelation. A- absolutely. I mean, Revelation 13, you have some beasts, Mm. Uh, direct allusions uh, straight out of Daniel chapter 7. They're the same beast, aren't they? Same beast. Yeah. Um, now, 
the book of Revelation is called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is uh, an unveiling, an uncovering of yeah. Jesus. Yes. Uh, and many Christians, this last book, they leave on the shelf. It's too hard. They say it all occurred in times past. Or they say it's for some distant point in the future. Mm. And I believe this is a ploy by Satan because the book of Revelation is to reveal to us mm. who Jesus is. It's to reveal a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is another gospel. Yeah, yeah. There, there are so many who say, hey, this book can't be understood. And yet the very name defies that understanding. Absolutely. And yeah. I mean, just a couple of examples. Time is short, and I know you'll uh, uh, pull the pin. Uh, Revelation 1, verses um, 17 and 18. Um, uh, Jesus says that um, in verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and the grave. At the very start of the book. At the very start. In Revelation 4 and 5, you've got this heavenly throne room worship Mm, scene mm. where there is this mighty worship that is occurring there, and uh, there is this book, this scroll, that no one is worthy to open. But we find in Revelation chapter 5 that we find in verse 5, Um, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, Mm. has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Mm. And then John looks and he sees uh, a lamb as though it had been slain. This is a picture of the resurrected Jesus. In other words, the book of Revelation is revealing Jesus Christ. You know, so so many people get bogged down with trying to understand the beasts before they understand the Lamb of Revelation. Because it's that Lamb that when we understand him, the beasts are put in their proper place. And we've got to remember that much in this last book, Revelation, is dealing with final events of Earth's Mm. history. What we need to remember, as you've highlighted, is that if we understand that it is the revealing of Jesus Christ, the uncovering, then we understand that Jesus is with us as we go through this book. It's a book of reassurance. Mm. David, I... I wish we had another half hour to keep talking on this. I really do, you know. Um, but I really, I, I'm really conscious that our time is getting away from us. It, it does, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much, folks, for joining Pastor Gary, Pastor David Butcher on the Drive Time Show. Next week, we're going to move to a brand new subject. Next week, we move to the super practical issue of forgiveness when we ask in an unfair world is it possible to forgive people in the injustices of life what does the bible teach on forgiveness what does it have to say i really look forward to seeing you but until then please remember christ said i'm leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May the Lord richly bless you as you move into this weekend. Please enjoy our final song. This is Michael W. Smith, the theme for the week, Ancient Words.
with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient.